to wherever the believers were around the world. And it reached its peak when Rome determined to rid the empire of the Christ ones under Emperor Nero. And Peter, he was actually in Rome at that time. And shortly after, Christians would start suffering severe persecution. And many would be actually put to death, including Peter himself. And so in the scenes building up to this, Peter writes to all the church. He writes letters to them, basically to encourage them in the suffering and the persecution of their faith as they're scattered abroad, trying to bring some comfort and some hope and urging them to keep on keeping on in Jesus, in their belief and in the anchor that they have in their hope in God. And I believe today each one of us in the city campus in Auckland and in New Zealand, we need to know that we can keep on keeping on in Jesus. We need to know that we can keep on going on in our faith. So my message today is about having genuine faith. And uh, I believe we need to have genuine faith for the challenges and some of the trials ahead. And one of the reasons is because it's not all going to be cushy in a walk in the park being a Christian. Who's found out in their walk with God that it's not always easy? It's not always just simple. That's not the first line. Although that's a great photo. But that's, that's, um, that's maybe the other one. I Hopefully you have those slides there. Um, <laughs> I believe that the days are coming, maybe in fact the day is almost here, that the cost of being a follower of Jesus uh, is no longer culturally accepted as it was maybe a century ago. In other words, being a Christ follower will cost you something in today's world. And the second reason is because though we aren't maybe dying for our faith or being asked to put our head on a block, um, you know, many of the pillars of godliness and righteousness that once upheld our nation are today being eroded. Uh, places and touchstones and institutes that once held the very virtues of the Christian faith that established our nation are being eroded away and being uprooted. Uh, Pro- Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts the nation, but sins condemns any people. But the third reason I want to read this uh, letter today, and maybe more importantly, is I sense we're starting to see a bit of a falling away of the faith of just the many believers in our lives. There are different challenges in Peter's time than in Rome, but it's the same enemy of our soul. And um, I spoke to a pastor friend this week who's a pastor of a Presbyterian church, and he was saying that he uh, was reading a stat as part of his studies that said that 50% of the Presbyterian churches have nobody in their church under, f- under 30 years old, uh, and most of them have no one that's under 40 years old. Um, it's a generalis- generalization, but it does paint a bit of a grim picture And we can easily get, you know, a bit smug and say, well, you know, we're a very youthful, uh, young church uh, in ourselves and that. But let's not kid ourselves. We're one body. You know, we are the body of Christ. You know, there's not two Holy Spirits. There's one Holy Spirit that fills his church and he's the head of his church. Jesus didn't die for one denomination. He came for every single person. Uh, And as Pastor Tark says a lot, you know, growth in churches is sometimes a lot of just transfer growth and not on new believers. So I believe today God is setting about proving the genuineness of our faith. He's, he's refining us for the moment and for the time. Uh, he's not content for the church just to sit idly by while the world goes through its challenges and its trials. Uh, he's not content with us having the luxury of nice buildings and programs and things like that while people go hungry and need the message of salvation. Our faith needs to move out of the building. So 1 Peter 1.7 says, These have now come, that's the challenges and trials, that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
And uh, I researched the word um, genuine. I wanted to know what the word means because a lot of people use that word today. Genuine. Oh, it's so genuine. You know, you've got to buy the genuine product. Um, and it actually comes from the word. It's, it's another word is natural or proper. But the Latin meaning actually means uh, G-N-U, which comes from the meaning of the knee. And it was the Roman custom for the father to acknowledge his role as the parent or the dad of a newborn child by placing him on their knee. And so, you know, they wouldn't obviously put a, the child, if it was an illegitimate child on their knee, it was their child. And there was the sense of ownership. And this is the right thing. This is mine. This is my legitimate child. And so it's worth asking the question, how legitimate is my faith? Is this the sort of thing that God, our Father, would put on his knee and say, this is legitimate, this is genuine? And I think it's a really good way to put a, maybe a microscope a little bit on our faith sometimes and ask the question, how much does it align with his word? So starting in First Peter, First Peter chapter 1, 3 to 4. Praise be to God, our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And I love how Peter starts his letters. They're always really encouraging. He brings it back to the main point that it's all about Jesus and all that he's done on the cross. Salvation from sins, freedom from death's grip, and eternity with Christ. Even a little bit what Jessica shared this morning through the communion. No, we have so much and access to Christ because of what he's done on the cross is great mercies. And our precious salvation, it needs to be celebrated. It needs to be remembered. Um, you know, today people live for perishable things, things that spoil. Um, and even believers, we can be concerned and invested in things that actually don't last. And who watched the Olympics over the last three or four or five weeks? It's been amazing. And, you know, it's really cool watching the challenges of the Olympics and the amount of grit and determination it brings out. Um, but, you know, Paul in his letters to the church, he often reminded them that, you know, we don't strive for a medal or a goal or, or a, something we can place around our neck that is not going to last. We're actually striving for something that is imperishable, something that goes on for eternity beyond that. And uh, I think we need to remind ourselves sometimes that, you know, don't run in a way just for live for things for today. We need to put value on the things that are of eternity. And uh, this you know, I think sometimes about our recent trip away, it was an amazing time of holiday and relaxing, of no email. Oh, man, no email, no text. In fact, I only got one text message from anyone at church, and it wasn't from any of our amazing team here. It was from Sam at West texting me on Sunday morning. And I read the text message, and it was something about, you know, the live feed, the message starts at this time. And I texted him back and said, thanks, buddy. I'm enjoying the views. <laughs> and he's like, oh, what? But anyway, but I was so able to relax because we had an amazing team here taking care of things. And I just want to actually acknowledge Penny for just keeping things going really, really well uh, and doing an amazing job. And um, there's something under, yeah. So thank you, Penny, for just doing an awesome job. And it was, um, no, it was awesome. And I think one of the reasons we could relax is because we knew we had a great team looking after things, and uh, it, was, it was great. So, so thank you. But um, no matter how good a holiday is, and no matter how long it lasts, I bet you it's nothing compared to eternity with Christ. You know, like, uh, it doesn't matter how good the beach is, whether it's Bora Bora or Coromandel, or whether it's just, you know, taking in the most amazing scenery in the world, there's nothing like eternity with Christ. And so we only have this glimpse 
of what it's like. And we can't forget that. We can't forget the fact that our salvation was not just for this earthly life. It was for give us access and grant us to something much, much, much more. We have been given this inheritance that cannot be taken away. So be encouraged. God's great salvation is no empty gift. It's no momentary thing. It's something that is worth the fight. It's worth hanging in there for and laying our lives down for. Verse 13 says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. By the way, Jesus is coming back. Hey, Catherine. Yeah, amen. So he's coming back. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you have when you lived in ignorance. But just as who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You know, being alert and being sober is really important. Driving on the open road, I was always alert, most of the time. Except when there was like amazing scenery or mountains, I'd get really distracted. And every now and then, Katie would be sitting on the passenger seat and she'd be whacking me because I'd be taking in all of these great views. You know, like when you're driving from Auckland down, you go past uh, Mount Ruapehu and it's like all of a sudden it just pops out of nowhere. And I would be staring at it like, whoa. And um, yeah, anyway, there was a few nervous moments that she had to keep me alone. But it was amazing. But do you know the other thing? That when I drove, I was fully sober. And I just wanted to say that because it says fully sober. And I wondered when I was putting this together, how much is fully sober? It's fully. And I want to say that this morning because remember, we... We can, we can play the good Christian card as much as we want, but God knows our heart and he knows our actions. And, uh, you know, recently Katie and I, we just decided that amongst ourselves that, you know, we didn't want to, uh, we didn't want to bring any alcohol into the house. And uh, we just thought, you know what, we don't have any peace about it. And so it's just, it's just become a, a blanket rule for us. It's just a way to safeguard and to put things in place that enable these verses to become a reality. Because we can often, you know, we can say or think something, but the reality is it comes down to how do you live your life? What are the actions that determine the beliefs you have? Even the, even the demons said they, they knew who Christ was. <laughs> but it really becomes what we do, and it can be plain and simple. Travelling together in the motorhome of about 16 square metres with the six of us, after a while your kids start to do what you do and say what you say. Monkey see, monkey do, and man, they can be monkeys. They start to joke like you joke. They start to eat like you do. They start to smell like you do. And there's just this closeness. And, uh, you know, and I, I realise, you know, a little bit of it is because you're spending so much time together. And uh, it made me think, you know, are we sp- how much time do we spend with our Creator, with our Saviour? Be holy because I am holy is what Peter's saying in this letter. And it's not accidental. It has to be intentional. We have to work at that relationship with God. We have to be intentional to spend time with him. Taking our kids away for the trip was an intentional part of building the blocks of a, of a healthy family unit of life together. But the same can be spent, said about spending intentional time with Christ, spending that time in the word, spending that time in worship, getting close to him. So in summary of 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, remember the joy of your salvation, you know, that precious hope of eternity and live accordingly, not in sin or carelessly, but with purpose uh, living in a, as an example to those around you because, you know, we could meet our maker at any moment. In the second chapter of First Peter 2, uh, in verse 15, it says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. 
live as God's slaves. Verse 20. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to those who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And if you were to ask, what's your calling from God? I wonder how many of us would answer to endure a lot of suffering on earth. That's my calling in God and to rejoice as well along the way. And I don't know if many of us would be that the first thing that we'd say, but the reality is a part of the calling from God is to endure the sufferings because that's what Jesus went through. That's the path of the one that we call saviour. That's the one that we call teacher. That's the one that we say we follow. That's what he went through. And that's what he's calling us to as well as part of being a Christian life. And uh, I reckon many Christians probably began their walk following Jesus only to find it gets tough and to give up along the way. And hey, life gets tough. That's the truth. Life does get really, it gets really hard. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. But we must understand what kind of life we've signed up to when we follow Jesus. You know, one of the, one of the deceptions I think today is that Christianity can be sold as a, a really good add-on to your life, as a plus one, as a something on the side, as a thing to add in to make things, you know, feel a little bit better. And, you know, on the surface, it can sound great. Add a bit of Jesus, man, your finances will go well. Oh, man, life will be better. You'll be healed instantly. And hey, God heals instantly. And yes, God does bless. But you know what I'm saying? It can be added as if it's something that's just going to prop you up along the way. But I don't believe the gospel message at its core is actually what it's all about. It's actually about a surrendering of our will and surrendering to God. And during that process, there can be things that bring about uh, some suffering in our lives. But that's got a purpose, you know. Suffering has many faces, by the way. Physical, emotional, you know, debilitating disease. You know, think of COVID-19 and the isolation that it's brought. Can be financial loss and hardship. It can bring acute pain and a sense of hopelessness when we live our lives. You know, I recently read a statement that says, don't assume you know someone else's sufferings when you've never walked a mile in their shoes. And it can be easier to think, you know, oh, I'll just, just pick yourself up, dust yourself off. But we have to be really careful not to judge others and naively guess that things are fine in their lives, you know. At some point in the journey, things get to us. And uh, through, that, through those things happening, we can stop doing good. We can stop fighting the good fight. And we can get discouraged along the way. And when these things happen, living as a living sacrifice and can be really, really hard. And I believe that in Jesus, there's good news. I believe that in Christ, we have all that we need. Christ, as we sang this morning, Christ is enough for us. He is our answer. He modeled it. He overcame. He went through the immense suffering. He didn't finish up on the cross. He went through that, but he rose from the dead. He brought new life. He brought hope. He brought restoration. And he overcame so that you and I can overcome too. That we can get through the trouble, the persecution, the things that are happening. So whatever you're facing today, Jesus is with you in it. He can stand beside you and he can have the power to help you get through whatever it is. He doesn't abandon us in our hour of need. Isn't that good news? He doesn't leave us uh, hopeless. He doesn't leave us the good book and then say, cool, 
here's everything, I'm leaving you now, you're on your own. No, 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 he journeys through it with everything. And I think if that's not enough, we've got to remember Peter, who's writing this letter, he failed big time. You know, he was the one standing there looking at Jesus getting taken away, denying him blank, you know, denying him three times. He's the one that failed the test in the moment. And yet he got back up from that. He rose out of that. He writes these letters to the church to reaffirm them, to stand in their faith. He's a great example of someone that overcame probably a lot of self-doubt and self, all of those sorts of things to encourage others to go on in their faith. And it doesn't just stop there, you know, all the parts of our lives that can receive healing. There's a life to come that is uh, destined for us. So on the other side of this, just maybe a caution is on the other hand, a lot of Christians can come under fire for being persecuted for loud opinions and not necessarily good deeds. Peter makes it pretty clear, I think, that ignorant talk of people is to be silenced not by our flashy words or good arguments or probably unwise social media posts, but by our good deeds. And I think the actions of Christians is what counts, you know, and probably where there's a general discontent for the church community may reveal a general lack of good deeds by those that say they are professing Christians. So in summary, let our deeds be the fruit of our belief in God, that those who aren't in Christ uh, can sense something different about you, something different about the way that you live. And when suffering comes because of our faith in Jesus, we have that insurance that we can walk and we can endure it. And this is a worthy pursuit. Cool. All right. Moving on to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So how long does it take to give you an answer if I ask what your mother's name is? Maybe a few seconds. Or what about if I ask, when is your wife's birthday? Warren. Oh, that was quick. Man, what about your wedding anniversary, Grayson? Oh, man, you guys are actually really good. <laughs> maybe it's just me that gets these wrong. Or maybe it's your kid's date of birth. You know, I, a while ago, someone asked me at the counter for something. They said, now, how old is your son, too? It was for one of the rides we were on. Now, oh, how old is he? And I just stared at them and said, he's um, April. <laughs> like, I couldn't even remember. Total mind blank. And then I think it was Benji, and he just looked at me and he said, Dad, it's the 23rd of April. What is it? It's the 23rd of April. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's the 23rd of April. And uh, anyway, what is your bank account? Maybe don't share that one, actually. So there's good things that we need to know quickly. But our faith, it's a personal faith because the Holy Spirit is personal. But it's certainly not a private faith because God didn't conceal his works on the cross. He did it publicly. He did it publicly for the world to see. You know, knowing Jesus, being able to say why you and me and us, we have a hope in him, needs to be second nature for us. You know, last night, um, Trish shared at the Women's Night about her story of coming to Jesus through a whole lot of trials and, 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 and yeah, incredible story, actually, of God restoring her from an abusive life and a whole lot of things that happened. And while many of us don't maybe have that dramatic experience, we all have a story. We all have a reason for believing in Jesus. God has done something in you. God has done something in me. There's something that anchors our soul to him that knows that Jesus is real. And, you know, I encourage you, we need to be able to articulate that. We need to be able to say that. Uh, and a good test for this is asking yourself the last time that you actually shared 
why you, you know, and verbally, why you shared why you believe in Jesus, why the gospel was real to you. And traveling through New Zealand, seeing some of the amazing scenery and the vistas and the incredible creation of God uh, has reminded me that God is such a creator. He's such a designer. He's such an interesting God. He's, he's so vast, you know, he's so uh, majestic. He's just so artistic. There's so many words you could use to describe how good God is and how creative he is. But the cool thing is, is that every person in our world today has access to that revelation. They may not read a Bible. They may not know Jesus. They may not know the, the, the story of Paul and Rome and all of that sort of stuff, but they can see creation. They can glimpse at some of the things that God has done. And often I've found recently I'm trying to use that as a good starting point for sharing my faith about Christ. Because if you can talk about things that are revealed, you know, the things that God has already done and revealed and are obvious, it's a great place to launch from to talking more about our faith in God. And when it comes to that, you know, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. And we've got to have that unashamedness to our faith that is willing to share what God has done. So don't be ashamed. Don't be. Let, let, let it own it. Be it. You know, be bold about it. Be a good neighbor. Um, who did good neighbors, by the way? Who got out and did something yesterday? I was a, I was a good son-in-law neighbor and helped my mother-in-law and, and uh, my Katie's parents move house uh, for most of the day. But it was great. And I know many people did do something. So awesome. It's great. Peter encouraged the early church uh, Christians to always be ready to have an answer. And in today's world of much chaos and disruption and pandemic, we need to be able to state, we need to be able to share this confidence we have in God. And a lot of people, you know, maybe they discount God as a conspiracy theory or as radicalness. And I reckon sometimes the truth is the gospel is the, is the most humongous conspiracy theory ever. Like, can you get more crazy than the church, than someone dying and then their blood covering over your sin? And then the spirit falling on fire. I mean, like, that's a theory and that's amazing, but it's true, you know, and there's no other way to describe it. First Peter 4, chapter 4, as, uh, as we kind of come to the end of this. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, says that word again, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed for the spirit of God and of God rests on you. Sorry, the spirit of glory. If you suffer, it should not be for as a murderer, or Jesus would go as far as saying hating, or thief, even petty theft, or any other kind of criminal thing. Above all, or anything else as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. You know, Peter says, don't be surprised. Instead, rejoice when suffering comes. Man, that word keeps coming up. But in the middle of this promise, there's a, in the middle of this passage, there's this great promise. The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Man, the spirit of God rests on you. I don't know about you, but I think I want to live my life with the spirit of God resting on me. Because to do the Christian walk without the Spirit of God in you, without Him in you, is just religion. It's just hard work, like pushing something up the hill. But we need the Spirit of God on us. When we were um, traveling through New Zealand, especially through the South Island, um, we would see these amazing moments where there'd just be like, you know, these birds flying through the air. But one of them was the New Zealand falcon. 
that we saw over and over again. And often we'd be on the road and the Spirit would be, you know, on the road and it would just launch up into the sky and start gliding over us. And um, I didn't actually take that picture, but it's a great picture of the bird. And it would just launch up in this huge wingspan. And over and over we saw this bird gliding ahead of us or behind us and out the side, of our, out the side. and often we'd say, hey, kids, look at the bird. <laughs> and the kids were, oh, what? And, um, but a few times they did actually look, which was great. We got warned, by the way, that when you go traveling with kids, don't say to them, hey, kids, look out the window at that great view. Um, because kids are like, what? They don't really care. But a few times our kids actually looked out the windows and took things in. And I wonder whether they just did it to keep us happy. Um, but they, anyway, they looked out and they saw these birds and they were amazed. And it was so, so cool. But the thing that really got to me is that these birds, they would launch up into the air and they would just glide and glide and glide. And they'd spend two or three minutes not even flapping their wings. They'd just glide. And uh, I remember looking out and seeing this happening and just thinking to myself, is that a little bit of what it's like in our Christian walk to be walking under the Spirit of God? That it's not supposed to be a striving and a, and a on our own strength and a, and a making it happen. It's actually meant to be the sense of the Spirit of God hovering over. In, in other words, there's this glide, glidingness in our heart. It doesn't mean that things are always easy or there's no challenges, but with God in it, there's a sense that you can glide through those things. You can come through those things. That you can be, uh, you know, you, this bird was designed to fly like this. It was designed to go through those things. And I think, you know, sometimes it's easy to get uh, worked up about the things in life or the way that we get treated or things that happen to us. But Jesus modeled humility. He modeled it as he went through life. And Peter tells the church to rejoice. God is with you. He's hovering over you. So when others in your workplace are drinking to excess or gossiping or start talking negatively about a co-worker or a boss, what is the Christian response? How do you act in that place? How do you respond in those moments? The Holy Spirit wrote these words through the apostles, you know, these letters, but his work doesn't finish there. He keeps speaking to us. And when we bear witness to Christ, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all those things, you are displaying the things of God that have been born again you know, made brand new as a new person in the Holy Spirit. And there comes a point where those things are going to come in collision with the way of the world. There comes a point where those things are going to come in direct opposition to the way that the enemy, to Satan, the way Satan works. And I remember even as a teenager at high school uh, being, you know, mistreated and bullied for the fact that I was a Christian for no other reason, just the fact that I believed in Jesus. And I remember as an engineer in New Zealand, uh, the feeling of uh, not, not quite being part of the crew of guys because I had a faith in Jesus Christ and the way that I lived. And I remember those moments. And uh, at, while we're away, I, um, I read this amazing story about uh, this guy called Reverend Alexander Don. Uh, and this was on a billboard down in um, Arrowtown. And he was this guy, he was a missionary on the far left there. And you can see him holding something up. It's actually a picture of um, Jesus and he's sharing the message of Jesus with these uh, Chinese miners that were living in that area mining for gold. Uh, and although they, um, although they came to mine for gold, you know, not many of them actually took up the Christian message. But what was really interesting is that he came in to share the love of God and the message of hope. But most of society and most of that area really hated that the, the miners that had come in from China. They, they hated them. They didn't want them there. And there's all these articles about it. 
uh, about how there was such a, uh, such a disgust and all this, and it was quite shocking. But here was this guy that God raised up to go into the midst of that and share the love of Jesus with these people. Here's someone that saw that these people were made in the image of God, that God loved them, that God had a plan for them, and he went in to share. says that he was more than a missionary, and for all those years, he trudged throughout Otago Southland, visiting the miners on the most isolated goldfields, and they know so much about these men is because of his fluent Cantonese observations and photography. The fact that all that history exists is because this guy went in, learned about them, understood them, shared his faith with them, and led some of them to Jesus Christ. And man, I was challenged by that, thinking he went in the opposite flow of what society was talking about. He went in opposition to what was talked about about these guys. He stepped out with a faith in Christ to do what God had called him to do. And that's you and me. We're called to do what Christ has called us to do, to go to the places that he's called us to go to. And uh, lastly, as we go through 1 Peter chapter 5 to finish this morning, it says, say, it says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers through the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the, grace of God, and the God of all grace who called you to live in his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will restore himself, restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Man, I love those last words. I love that part. Strong, firm and steadfast. And the key here is humility. You know, it starts with humility. Humble yourselves. Humble, humbling yourselves may mean asking for forgiveness, apologizing, confessing a sin, admitting to a loved one of the problems you're facing, being honest with an employer or with a wife or a husband. But God promises to lift you up in due time. He doesn't give you a time frame, which would be really nice, but he does say in due time, he will lift you up. Remember, there is nothing that God cannot handle. There's nothing that's too hard for him. God is infinite. You know, he is infallible. He is able to do what we cannot do. His unlimited love and mercy is there for us. And uh, he's the one that has, yeah, he's the one that has unlimited love and mercy. I know I certainly don't. Katie knows this, but God has an immense amount of love and patience for each one of us. He's able to take all of our stress, all of our sin upon himself and watch over us. And that last warning there says to be watchful for the devil. You know, the devil's such a loser. He's lost the battle and he's just trying to take you down. He prowls around. And in my footnotes of the Bible, it said that, you know, in the natural, when the lion is looking to take someone down or take one of the animals out, he doesn't go charging into the middle of the pack. He roams around picking off the one that's on the fringe, picking off the one that's isolated, picking off the one that's on their own. And today as Christians, we need each other. You need to be in the community of faith, connected to other people, worshipping God together, caring for each other and carrying each other's burdens. You know, we need that accountability and that wisdom of those that are around us that are more mature in their faith than us because the devil, he's cunning. He will go for those that are on their own and isolated. But together with God's help, we can learn to overcome the obstacles of life, not being surprised by these trials, but being refined by those things so that we can be strong, that we can be firm and steadfast. And that, I think that is what genuine faith really looks like. 
that's what it feels like, and that's what God has for you and for me. Right.